Hello, hello. This is Allie, the host of Art is for Everybody, and I'm welcoming you to our second season of artist interviews and conversations about art and what it means to be a creative person. This second season is generously supported by the Southeastern Connecticut Cultural Coalition. And without further ado, let's get started. Hey listeners, just your regular reminder that there may be some strong language in this podcast. At Art is for Everybody, we speak from our hearts and some of our hearts have dirty mouths. Thanks. Hello, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Art is for Everybody. And I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I got to have a wonderful conversation with an artist named Drea Powers. And they are a filmmaker, um, photographer, artist, multimedia kind of uh, poet and all that. Um, And also they're very special to me because they have taught my son um, writing and um, theater. So it was really great to have them on and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, it's that time in the episode where I talk about what's connecting my brain and heart. And I'm just going to be really basic today because it's the change of seasons. It's the fall. I really enjoy when the air gets a little bit cooler and the veil gets a little bit thinner and things get a little bit creepier. And um, I love this time of year. And I love the change of seasons because they really remind me that all is change and that this too shall pass. And I'm just really feeling um, like a tree letting go of my leaves and all that inspirational autumnal bullshit. Um, But more seriously, I really do enjoy this season and I hope you do too. I hope you get to enjoy the chill up your spine or a really good campy horror moving. And um, just remember that art connects the brain and heart. Hey, everybody. Before we get started with the interview, I just want to introduce um, Drea a little bit more. Um, She is a really special person. And um, as I was thinking back uh, about when we first met, I remembered that I think it was when I was asked to do a pop-up zine workshop for Writer's Block. And this was um, before my son was old enough to participate. And I had a friend and a few people I knew that worked there, and I really respected their work. And so I did a little after-school pop-up for the group. And at the time, Drea was, I think, like um, an assistant teacher. I know she was still in school, so she wasn't there full-time. 
but she was part of the group that I taught zines to. And I remember she just like activated the group and she encouraged everybody. And she really encouraged the young people to think about zines as like another way they could share their art. And I just, when you work with somebody who is that enthusiastic and who understands your media in that way, it's a really, really special experience. And so it's been wonderful to continue to work with her with young people, but then also develop you know, a friendship with her and see her grow as an artist. And I've seen her perform, um, I've watched her film, and you know, it's just wonderful um, to see how somebody can grow into themselves. And I hope she doesn't mind me seeing this, but it has been a pleasure to see her bloom into like this amazing educator, activist, and artist. Um, and I can't wait to see what she comes up with next. So please do enjoy this interview with Drea. Okay. Hey, Drea. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Allie. I'm excited to be here. Great. So I'll begin with the first question, and that is, what is your earliest memory of art or art making? Oh, what a good question. Okay. Um, my earliest memory of making art. Um, so when I was in sixth grade, I participated in Writer's Block's show, Same Body, Different Wounds. Um, it was the first time I've ever been in a theater production period um, that wasn't for like an elementary school. So it was a big thing for me. Um, mm. But after that, that's when I learned that I could write poetry or at least write it well. So in my language arts class, I thought I was so cool showing off all my rhymes and my uh, different lines and stuff to my teacher. But I was a lot more eloquent than I wanted to give myself credit for. So I would say even though I had fun like doodling and singing when I was little, my first inspirational creative moment was when I wrote my first poem on an apartment that I used to live with, with my family, um, that my teacher made me share in front of the class because she liked it so much. That's really cool. So sharing your art has been a part of your kind of artistic experience. You, would you say that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, art is a different language for people. I mean, like some people communicate in like math and like logic and equations. Other people just create um, abstract art to express and to understand how others feel. So I'm definitely, I think it's a left brain thing, if I'm not mistaken. I'm mm. definitely a left brainer. Um, I have to think creatively and outside of the box when I try and solve situations. Um, I used to be really good at math, but I think for when I started uh, working on my writing skills, those skills <laughs> started depleting. But um, no, I, I language is, I mean, um, art is a, a language that I feel like most people should definitely have an, ex, uh, an opportunity to learn. Not everyone mm -hmm. is, you know, gifted in that, like how I'm not gifted in math anymore, but it's just a different way of people's communication. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, that's like, I mean, that's kind of why I do what I do because I believe like 
we all communicate differently and like to not have the tools to communicate through art is like really harmful sometimes too. absolutely like especially yeah. in like public schooling like my childhood imagination was crushed because i i felt like you know my my ideas were a little bit too out there and you know when we did creative projects we were only so limited because they wanted us certain criteria it's mm. just it's really damaging because like I mean, thankfully now I have writer's block as my job, so I'm allowed to be creative in my workplace, but I can't imagine myself functioning in like an office job or uh, customer service or anything that really doesn't involve the language that I speak in. Mm, yeah, I understand that. I did work customer service for quite a long time. And I mean, there's some interesting stories I could tell you, but yeah. <laughs> it, it was pretty soul crushing. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so um, maybe moving forward from sixth grade, um, or, or actually, you know what? Can you explain what writer's block is first? Yes, so writer's block is a youth theater-based um, social justice program that specializes in teaching youth about things that have been going on either from our history or even just going on today that they should know more about. And again, using our language, which is uh, creative arts, we find different ways to get our students to express themselves, express their opinions or beliefs, or just react in general to what's happening around them creatively. So we'll run uh, theater workshops, we'll run um, writing workshops, uh, different um, art mediums, especially like visual arts and things more specific to the stage. So like costumes, set design, um, just all those things. Yeah, I love that program. And actually, shout out, because my son is part of it now. That's how much I love it. <laughs> yes, and Will is the best. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty great. Um, so let's say moving forward in the timeline then, mm -hmm. um, you first kind of learned how to express your voice in sixth grade at Writer's Block. Did you have... Um, um, uh, a mentor or a person who inspired your art as a young person or was there like maybe like a more famous artist that you kind of looked up to um, mm. during that time yeah okay um so for that one i had multiple people inspire me to start writing one of them shout out to tupac um i had his book his poetry book um a rose that grew from concrete mm -hmm. i read it upside down at, like back to back to front front to back I knew it inside and out, and that's what really sparked my writing. But when I did writer's block, um, there are two people. In my first year, it was my cousin, Avila Shepard, um, who's now a teacher um, at the first Amistad, first Amistad High School, I believe, in um, New Haven. Mm -hmm. um, she's a powerful, powerful poet, and she was well-known for her work. So to be able to say that I'm related to her, let alone working with her, was a <laughs> blessing. Um, and shout out to uh, Morgan Penn, who unfortunately passed away in 2011. She was um, one of the founders of Writer's Block. And when I did it my second year, she was my mentor. Um, and she built a lot of confidence in me and really wanted the best for me. She made a, a huge difference in my creative life and in my personal life. Um, so I, I do owe a lot of my creative works to her. 
Oh, those are, those are some really great um, mentors. And I know Atala, and I've tried to get her on the podcast, but she's so busy. Yeah, <laughs> she's a busy woman. Job. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. I love hearing her um, share her poems, too. She's like her performance. Like, she just commands a room. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Like, honestly, the way I do my poetry, too, I've, I've watched her a lot. Like, I've gone with her and her sisters or with her and her family to go see her perform in other places. So... I know her flow. I, I know her writing, even if someone else were to read it. And that's where I get kind of my flow from. She was the first poet that I actually sat and listened to and enjoyed. So my flow now, my um, cadence and how I do my poetry is definitely, I owe it to her. Oh, that's really cool. Like, I'm going to have to pay attention next time I listen to her and be like, okay, where's that <laughs> shepherd, like, style? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, and also I'm so glad that you brought up Tupac because that book of poetry was really influential to me too, as a young person. Mm -hmm. And he too was, um, when I, cause you know, I was, you know, I was grown up in the nineties. So I was like, actually like a young person when he got big mm. and like he was hugely influential in, um, that when I found out his mother was like a political prisoner, mm -hmm. I went and like looked up her writing. Mm -hmm. And so like Tupac actually introduced me to some really radical black thought, which um, I think is something like because of all the other stuff that happened around him, particularly his death, um, we forget of like how powerful a voice he was for like, allowing young people to think that oh I can be an artist too you know absolutely like I I watched a lot of his documentaries and even just hearing him speak radicalized me I mean just mm. the fact of like um one of my favorite things that he said in an interview was um we asked with the civil rights we asked with you know the emancipation proclamation we've been asking for years and years and years for equality so when I come out with my music and it sounds a little too quote unquote violent, what do you expect me to do? Ask? That's my favorite quote from him. Because mm. I like, ever since that moment, it kind of taught me to, one, I'm not going to be nice to my oppressors because they're not nice to me. <laughs> like we always try and force someone that's, we always try to force the victim to be the bigger person and to allow the bullying. And Tupac mm. was not with that. And Ever since that moment, ever since I really started to get it, I learned that I'm not that type of person. I'm not going to roll over and let someone bully me. Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I I have also, you know, I, I think about that as like a survivor, too, of, um, you know, just being a survivor of like patriarchal violence and how again and again and again, like I'm told that my reaction to harm is is the more harmful thing mm -hmm. when, yeah, there's just this really, and I think that's so relevant today. Um, and again, that's where like art can be a powerful like instrument. It's like when I make art, like I can be as angry as I want to be and express as much anger as I need to, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And I, I think it's important what you do at Writer's Block is allowing young people that outlet because they're really not allowed to have that outlet in the public sphere very often, are they? Oh, no. I mean, we had one student come in on our third week of programming. Um, he was a little behind. It was no biggie. But the way he saw that everybody was allowed to speak, I mean, like, yeah, sure, we raised hands. But that's just so we don't have like, you know, multiple voices over another. But the fact that we have discussions and not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to give you guys this lecture. If you have any questions, wait till the end. It's a whole discussion. This is what's happening in this world. How? Oh, OK. How can we fix it? Let's start. Let's start doing these different types of things. So it's like a, a, a equal level or equal ground conversation that we have with our kids that they don't get at school. Usually they, they expect because we call ourselves teachers or educators that, you know, we don't participate with them with any activities we give them that, um, I mean, shoot. I mean, it's hard to understand that teachers are people because they're made to be these, these robots of not having empathy, not having any understanding of what's going on in these students' lives outside of school. So when mm. they come to us and they're like, oh, wait, I can go to the bathroom without asking. Like they're, it, 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 it's funny, but it's just. I like, mean, I'm laughing, but yeah, that's like sad. That's no, what I'm saying. And... It's so sad that like these kids are so, so afraid to like, they're, they're, they'd rather pee on themselves than be embarrassed in mm. front of the teacher and have the teacher be like, oh, you need to wait or whatever kind of repercussion that's unreasonable. Mm. Well, so, and I think that speaks to the issue of like, in education, how um, like public education, particularly, um, we talk about the school to prison pipeline. And in that pipeline, teachers become the enforcers, teachers become the police of the school. And what does that do f for the relationship that teachers need to have to teach, right? Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot. And, you know, I, I made a conscious decision to teach outside of the institution because of that, because of what I witnessed when I was teaching in an institution mm -hmm. versus outside of it and how different these young people behaved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Are, have you read any um, Paolo Freire? Well, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I have um, not. He did Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Um, definitely check it out because he talks a lot about how we want to become instead of educators, we become educands mm. and it is a different approach that like that learning is like a mutual thing between the teacher and the student. And actually the division of teacher and student goes away because as a teacher, what can I learn from my students and vice versa? And no. like, you know, yeah, that there's like, it's like a mutual kind of educational practice. Um, Absolutely. We, we tell our kids all the time, like, we are learning just as much as you. And like, we're not going to hide the fact that we're not that much older. Like I'm 25 and mm. my, one of my youngest participants is 13. Like, yes, that's a gap, but it really wasn't that long ago since I was a 13 year old. So I know at least a little bit of what they're going through what they're thinking and what they like. So we try to tailor um, whatever lessons or whatever activities we have planned 
not only based on what we think they would like, but what they actually tell us. So when we mm. make lesson plans and when we have certain discussions, we would ask a kid on the side beforehand, like, hey, this is how I'm thinking of approaching the class. What do you think? And I know yeah. teachers would have like a heart attack because, oh no, like it's the teacher's book. Like this is supposed to stick with them. Like kids like being in on the end and they're actually a lot helpful if you let them be. Oh yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that strategy. And it's not even a strategy for me, um, but I find that I am a better teacher when I am like, when I don't, when I, when I do not practice hierarchy in my classroom, you know? And um, because to me, hierarchy is a form of impression. Exactly. Um, and so like, I wonder like if, I know actually that teaching and teaching art is part of your process, but I'd love for you to talk about the art that you make as an individual as well. So maybe if you want to describe the materials or the process of your work. Yeah, absolutely. So I dabble into a little bit of everything, um, mainly poetry because that is the um, most cost efficient for me. <laughs> um, not <laughs> too expensive to write on a piece of paper. Um, I, do enjoy painting, um, mainly landscapes or like other abstract art. Um, but my main dream, my absolute dream is to be a uh, filmmaker, which I already started off with a documentary that I made for my um, senior seminar that was um, Born Black and Female. It's based off of the autobiography by Bell Hooks, Bone Black. Mm. Um, and that was just an interview of eight women from New London, all black women on um, their experiences and their lives and what it means to be a black woman. It was one of my favorite projects I ever worked on. And from there, I learned that I have to be behind the camera like that was my destination. I always wanted to be an actress, but I think as a director, I think I would do absolute like great work. Well, so you're also kind of um, the director of like the, the, the production that you put on with the young people at writer's block as well. So do you see directing in film and on stage? Are those two separate things or is that the same process? Um, that's a good question. I see directing on stage and directing um, behind a camera as different. Um, gosh, I don't even know like where to begin with that. Mm. I would say with theater, your, your options are limited. So you don't have that much of a space. You don't have that much room or, you know, uh, your imagination can only go so far. So for that, you kind of have to direct the actors themselves on how to emote, how to build the scene for the rest of the audience who don't really know what's going on. Um, but I feel like for acting, like behind a, or, you know, directing behind a camera, I feel like you have a lot more leeway. So like, you know, you do have a living room to work with, so you can go from couch A to couch B. You know what I mean? Mm. So I feel like maybe act uh, directing behind the camera is a little bit more intimate than um, directing for theater. But I could be wrong. Well, I mean, what I was thinking about is that theater almost seems more like mm, drawing and filmmaking seems more like painting mm. where like drawing is kind of much more immediate and you're like, you're limited a little bit more yep. where painting is more like you have more expansive, like you can kind of stretch out a little bit more. Wow. That makes sense. I love that analogy. <laughs> Thanks. 
Um, so when you get a chance to direct, um, would you kind of like walk me through that process? Like how do, how do you even begin? Oh gosh. <laughs> I am one of those um, tough directors. It's only because I envision everything so down to the detail that I kind of want to nail it too, but I know it's not like, you know, an app Bible that I have to follow. So um, say we have the script in front of us and we have our stage directions. I'm very interactive. So I'll place myself as one of the characters for what I want to see done. So like um, literally like maybe 30 minutes ago, I was running at the top of the show with the kids and um, there was one kid confused on where he should be throughout the scene. So I was like, okay, take a step back. I'm going to play you. You play me, you know, watch me as the director and I'm going to show you how this looks. So I'll run through their lines. I'll mo. I'll um, use hand gestures. I'll express myself exactly how I imagine it. And then I'll work with them on like, okay, so if you're uncomfortable with say like jumping on a desk, what can we do to compromise for that? Okay. Banging on the desk that gives the same me message. Let's do that. So I'm very interactive, very communicative and, um, I'm working on it, but I'm very patient. <laughs> Patience is always something we can all work on, I think, or at least <laughs> <true> for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, I can relate to, like, being sometimes a little tough uh, because it's usually when I'm working on a project, it's so co complete in my mind that that's where, like, my lack of patience can come from because, to me, I already see it. It's already there. Yeah. And it's sometimes where I get tripped up is like trying to communicate that vision outside myself. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So um, what themes or subjects does your work usually come back to? Mm. My personal work or writer's block? Both and. Okay. I'll start off with writer's block. Our themes. So we usually focus on um, social issues that are um, prevalent now. So um, we'll say like last year when we all couldn't meet in person, we made a zine that was focused on the, their experiences from the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, from George Floyd's death to COVID. So it ranged on two basically main heavy uh, topics, but mental health came in the mix of that or um racism came in the mix of that so like it's like we can focus on one big thing but of course oppression has many tentacles so they all come along with so for this show we wanted to focus on um the evolution of radicalization so radicalization doesn't start with someone liberating other people it starts with liberation within oneself um mm. so we wanted to really display that message on our stage and of course the other topics that are connected to that are racism, sexism, like uh, sex assault, uh, culture, just different types of things that fall under what people need to be radicalized from. Oh yeah, sure. Um, and I've talked about this, I think before on the podcast that like, I love the definition um, that Angela Davis gives of what like radical means and what she kind of, what she said in multiple different ways is that it's like grasping things at the root. Exactly. Right? It's like understanding the root cause. Like, yep. Yeah. You know, it's like really annoying to walk down the street and be harassed. Mm -hmm. 
And that sucks. And I want to stop that. But what is that really about? Right. I got to like examine like the power structures that like give people permission to harass femmes and women, you know, on the street. Like, that's what I'm always thinking about is like, okay, this is a problem, but what's at the root of that problem? Exactly. And like, people are so afraid of radicalism because like, it isn't, of course, with the status quo, but just with any situation, you want to get rid of the problem. You don't want to just keep, you know, putting a little bandaid on, hoping it doesn't bleed over, even though it's still bleeding profusely. You have to stop it at its root. And one thing I learned over the last summer is that people were saying, oh, Black Lives Matter, Asian Lives Matter, let's do it for, let's, let's make this, end white supremacy. Let's all come together to kill this problem at its root, which is white supremacy that bred all these different ways to uh, discriminate against people. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I, I can talk about this for a while. But I think also coming back to the art of it all, like sometimes people will shut down if you use words like white supremacy and or if you use words like racism or sexism or patriarchy. And I think where art gives us a, I don't, I don't want to say sneaky because that's like kind of, that has a negative context, but it gives us kind of a, Low a key? back door a little bit or a key yeah yeah um so you said that's kind of more writer's block what about your personal work what, what oh yes you... um for my personal work i i talk about my experience i mean recently and i'm, I'm talking like recent this year i'm learning that my emotions are valid that like everything that I'm feeling inside of my heart, inside of my head, are not things that I've done to myself, are not things that I'm welcoming to myself. Nobody wants to sit around sad. Nobody mm. wants to wallow and just, just deal with things negatively. So a lot of my creative writing is validating my own stuff. So instead of... Um, because a way of like coping was to write about the feelings that I was feeling. So when I was feeling empty and hopeless and depressed, I would write about those things. But they wouldn't have the ending that one would need in order to be encouraged. It was a lot of self-loathing. So a lot of my poems that do involve my emotions do end with me validating them or just a way of like somebody not feeling alone. I, I write my my poetry off of my experiences so that I know somebody else is going through this and I don't want them to feel alone because that's what I felt for most of my life, that I was suffering from a lot of things that I did to myself all by myself and nobody really could understand my pain. But after I started reading some more poetry and people started saying things that I was thinking in my own head, I was like, oh, well, why don't I write so that somebody can have that moment that I had of, oh, I'm not a loner. Oh, I'm not the only one that thinks this way. Or, oh, I'm, I'm like this because of this, you know? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. And I just want to, so today is August 2nd. This is the day that we're recording. And it is James Baldwin's birthday. 
Yes, come on. And so he has a great quote about this. And um, it goes something, and I can't, I'm going to be, uh, gosh, uh, he talks about how what you just said, basically, is that, like, we think that we're the only ones who's ever suffered from this problem until we read. And then we see that we're not alone. And, or maybe even until, for me, I thought I was alone in like queerness until I saw another artist express their queerness through art, right? Absolutely. And so that's like, again, like how we use art, number one, as an artist to connect to our communities. And then also then we, when we share our art, it helps other people connect to us and others. There's just this like beautiful, like infinity of like, connection that I really appreciate um and I've I've heard your poems and yeah they are about like heavy subjects but I always feel at the end uplifted Mm. thank you oh no thank you I um I'd love to hear some of your new stuff soon if you're ready to share it um one of these days oh yeah (laughs) no pressure no pressure no whenever I got you okay yeah yeah, so you deal with a lot of like heavy themes, but I think you do it um, with grace. So um, kind of for the final question, do you have a daily or regular artistic practice that you'd like to share? Mm. So um, do I have a practice. I know I usually, <laughs> only because um multiple things going on you know COVID really screws up a lot of things Mm. I would say ever since COVID my process was literally isolating myself um music of the mood that I wanted to be in so if I was really 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 sad and I wanted to get it out in writing I would play my um all alone or uh for all the tears playlist so that I can you know generate those emotions okay why am I sad okay this is this is understandable and why am I, why I'm sad? What can I compare this to? And then just really just go from there. Like there are moments where, and I'll say this for all the writers out there, please, please, please. If you have a line that flies through your skull, that sounds really good, write it down. There have been (laughs) so many times that I've written, um, written down just ideas that flown by and I wrote poems out of them or I wrote scenes out of them. Like, the ideas that float through your brain are just little nuggets of knowledge that you have to like keep for yourself because they can help you out in the future. So mm-hmm. sometimes I'll just think of like something can happen before my eyes and then I'll point something out and be like, huh, okay, that's an interesting color. Or, that's an interesting name. Can I change that around to write a poem about it? It's stu- It sounds stupid, but it, once you ask yourself these kinds of questions, like prompting yourself, it's like you go into student mode, like, okay, I'll take that challenge. And then you start writing. Mm, I like that method of like being open to being inspired at any time. Right. Cause that's yeah. what, that, that, that's what that practice sounds like to me is that like you are open, you like your, your ears are open, your eyes are open, like your heart is open. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I spend a lot of my time, um, watching, uh, TV and YouTube and films and like 
even some of the script writers, they'll slip some little nuggets that, you know, are really inspiring that make you go back and, huh, I, that really stuck with me for a reason. Mm. It's really not hard to find inspiration, like pretty much everything. I mean, even if you just go outside for a nature walk, I'm sure you can find something positive to write about, you know? Yeah. And you know what? I've, I'm just going to share something I've had happen with me too, is I'm on Twitter and I will read like one sentence of Twitter and be like, oh, that's like the beginning of a poem. So I actually yes. have like one or two poems that started out on Twitter. Not that I wrote, that I just like read. You no, know? but I love that because some people are just so eloquent and don't even know it. And you could just, you could turn like an average tweet into a whole like Shakespearean poem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really... I like finding inspiration that way because often if I try to force it, it just does not come. Yeah, for sure. You have to find like your happy grounds because I know sometimes when I like try and force those emotions onto me, I'm not ready to write. I still have to like process it. But mm. those moments where I'm like, I'm spacing out and a sense flies by and I'm like, huh, that's really good. And I don't write it down. I kick myself in the butt later. <laughs> um, so your process is basically like to allow yourself to feel too. And like, you're kind of like, you're, you're like opening yourself up and giving yourself space to feel those things. Right. Yeah. So you use music. Is there anything else you use? Um, I always try to think about like the creative things that I'm at least comfortable doing. And honestly, it's more, it's more about where I place myself. So like, there's nothing else I can do for writing other than like going out or drawing too, like just going out and enjoying like the fresh air. I mean, like I live in New Haven now, so I have West Rock State Park right next door to me. So mm -hmm. I go on trails, I sit next to the river. I literally look up like through the trees at the sky and try and find art there. And that's how it'll come to me. I'm, I'm very like connected with um, the earth around me. So I find a lot of my inspiration there. Oh, that's a beautiful practice. Thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you. And, yeah. And thank you so much for this interview. I really enjoyed our talk. And um, if everybody stays tuned at the end of the episode, um, there will be some poetry shared. So um, check that out. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And I have just a very few notes. If you would like to follow Drea's uh, poetry, performance, all the rest of the artistic things that she does, you can follow her account on Instagram. And that's at Drea Sins. I'll spell that out. It's at D-R-A-Y-A period S-Y-N-S. And you can also follow the block on Instagram. And often um, the young people get involved creating all these like really cool little videos or tutorials. And their Instagram is at Ignite the Block. So that's at I-G-N-I-T-E-T-H-E-B-L-O-C-K. And also, if you would like to support Writer's Block, you can visit their website, and that's writersblockinc.org. That's W-R-I-T-E-R-S. 
B-L-O-C-K-I-N-K.org. And you can donate there. You can check out to see any upcoming programs. Right now, I know that they are um, building some new programmings for the spring coming up. And definitely support the work that they do. This is really such a wonderful program. Most every student I know that has participated in the block has come out more confident, more able to share their feelings, their hopes, their dreams, their opinions. And it's just a really great program. So definitely support Writer's Block and support Drea, who is an artist that just puts her heart into everything she does. And as always, remember, art connects the brain and heart. The artist recommends. I recommend a couple of things. If you really, really like feeling alone, at least when it comes to mental health issues, I know I love being reassured and being validated. I highly recommend Bojack Horseman. That is a beautiful, beautiful and raw show on how basically just trauma affects the people around you. Um, and Flowers, that has Olivia Coleman, um, a couple of other British actors. And that one is about how uh, bipolar affects uh, the people around you. And it's um, centered with a family member who has it and um, others trying to help that person through it. Um, if you want something a little lighter, I know I, I gotta throw my crime in there. I highly, <laughs> highly, highly recommend Broadchurch that has Olivia Coleman, David Tennant, a whole bunch of people from Doctor Who. That is a crime story that will have you on the edge of your seat every single episode. I recommend it to everyone that I meet. And lastly, if you want something to smile about, um, I highly recommend Michaela Cole's Chewing Gum. It is a British oh, TV yeah. show. I loved it. Like. The first time I watched it, I don't know why I was hesitant, but when I went back to it, I haven't been able to put it down. I'm on season two now, but I love it. It is hilarious. Oh my gosh. I love that show so much. Like to the first season, uh, like, I'm just going to say it, but remember, like, it was like the used dildos. Yes. (laughs) I was just telling somebody about that show. It's so funny because like we were joking about something and like they said like a bag of dildos and I was like, (laughs) that show is easily quotable. It is memorable. Like my favorite episode is when the cousin comes over. That was a whole charade. I mean, it's so good. it, It is, it is really, truly like, it's one of those like gut busters where like yes. I was would be laughing so hard that I had to like rewind because I had like missed five minutes. You know? Oh, I'm the type of person like I'll call you into the room like please watch this hilarious thing with me. And I was showing my partner all these scenes and they were just cracking up like what are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also want to just like second that BoJack Horseman um, recommendation. It is a truly beautiful show it oh really is and um I also want to I'm just I think I've recommended this before but the one of the people involved with that show makes Tuca and Birdie which I think is wow. like um 
superior in some ways to BoJack Horseman in that it centers like female friendship yeah. and dealing with mental illness in yes. a way that like you don't often see. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see who does the, uh, there's, I, I can't remember who does the voices, but the voices are great. Um, oh, it's Tiffany Haddish is Tuka. And then Ali and Wong. Al, yes. Ali Wong is Birdie and it's so good. Um, but my actual recommendation this week is going to be to read some James Baldwin. And um, you can read The Fire This Time, which was published in 1963 and I think speaks to the moment we are in right now. Mm. And I love reading Baldwin because he writes essays. And so it's kind of like these kind of smaller digestible things. But his, the way he makes language leap off the page. I have never read anybody quite as like in command of his art as James Baldwin. So yeah, I want to recommend that book, The Fire Next Time, which um, is available. You can find it at thriftbooks.com. I know because I bought it there. And then also to read with it, um, there was a book that was published in 2016, edited by Jesmyn Ward, and it's called The Fire This Time, A New Generation Speaks About Race. And it's kind of like a modern response to that 1963 text. And they are both excellent and both worth a read. Um, and so uh, if you have anything you'd like to recommend, you can share it with us um, on the Anchor app. You can leave me a message and I might play it on a future show, or you can reach out on Instagram at the art period everybody. Um, again, that's uh, art period everybody, and that's our um, IG. So you can leave me a message there. Um, And thank you so much for listening. And remember, art connects the brain and heart. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Art is for Everybody. Make sure to stay tuned after this segment. And there's a really special reading by Drea of one of her poems. So don't miss that. I also want to thank everyone who has reached out and asked about season three. And right now, I just don't know what's going to happen um, for season three. Um, but I do want to talk about two more artists that are going to be featured Um We have probably three more episodes coming because uh, one of the artists and I had about a three-hour conversation and I I wanted to give it the space that it needs. And I know that it's really hard to sit through a podcast that's more than like about 45 minutes to an hour. So we're probably going to have three more episodes to this season. And then season three, hopefully, will be coming in the future. Um, But we need about $3,000 to produce um, that season. And this is so that I can pay the artist for their time, um, pay myself for the production, and um, pay somebody else to help me with some of the editing because I really um, want the podcast to sound as good as it can. And um, that's just not where my skills lie. (laughs) So I apologize for any like blips and bloops. Um, I hope you guys know this is made with love. And I hope you know um, that art connects the brain and heart.
as promised. A poem by Drea Powers. Mayflowers. A flower ripped from its soil mid-bloom dies because its beauty fell under the wrong eyes. Eyes who could see you were at a phase where you needed a little foundation to grow properly. Eyes who feasted on your poppy colors and developing figure. You were only innocently wearing your biology with pride. You never thought your confidence would make you a target. If you had thorns, would the hands have been more cautious? If poison pumped through your veins, would the hands hesitate on touching you? The hypothetical ifs run through your floral mind as you were plucked and ripped, choking on the trauma of losing your roots, a part of you, lost in the reality that life isn't always filled with poppies and sunshine, and life can be short and cruel, cold and humiliating and lonely. So, so lonely when you're restricted to a bare shell for the eyes to relive the moment they captured you and you came from a valley. The world you knew had fresh air and you were surrounded by warm love. This act of predatorial selfishness is foreign to you. Flowers weren't made to be ripped. They sprout with strength, coming in all sorts of colors. They stand towards the sun because they are the light of this world. They are living, breathing creatures. So why do we rip them? Why do we rip them? Why do we rip them from their roots? Delicate flowers, now forced to grow fast, living for others' pleasures. Too much has been given to us for us to just take, take, take what we didn't ask for. Just let the flowers grow, let them grow, let them grow, let them go, grow. Let them bloom, let them blossom, flora uninterrupted. They radiate such beauty that reminds you of the good in this world. Why must you violate someone in their growth? You don't always have to take.